Well, good morning. I cannot tell you how excited I am that that was the last time you'll see that summer surf video. And uh, it's, it's, it was fun, but it's, it's had its time. Uh, my name is Brian. I am the pastor of Family Ministries here at Crosswinds. And whether you are here with us together at the Canada campus or you're journeying with us at another location like Emma, uh, we just want to say uh, welcome. Uh, we're so excited that you're here. Today we wrap up our summer series called Asking for a Friend, which means next week we begin our fall series. And I just want to draw your attention that next weekend we consider our fall launch weekend. And so our kids' ministry program, we're in full swing for the whole service. Our student ministry kicks up after that. Kind of small groups get going. Everything gets launched. And to celebrate that together, we have our fall launch uh, kind of festivities. It's happening on September 18th. It's Saturday, this coming Saturday. It all starts off at 10 a.m. with the Crosswinds 5K race, but you can also walk it. So you can get on and register ahead of time or register the day of ahead of time, probably better. And then right after that, we got food trucks rolling in. We've got live music. We've got games. We're just going to be hanging out together. And our hope is that many from the community will come and they'll join together with many from the Crosswinds family. And it'll just be this beautiful time with our community as we look ahead to what's ahead here at Crosswinds. As a bonus, I signed up for the Crossings 5K, and full disclosure, I have not run in two years. Two years. Despite what you may believe, I am drastically out of shape, so that alone will be a spectacle to see, so come on out. Um, you know, uh, Pastor Craig asked me to teach this Sunday, and I was, I was happy to do it, um, but I had flashbacks to last Sunday, uh, or the last time I preached in the fall, which was last year, and I had similar feelings. Like, this is, it's not quite fall, but it's still summer, and I'm just, I'm feeling a little warm, so excuse me for a second while I uh, just take off my, there we go. That's better. That feels right. Craig tainted the stage in February with a Tom Brady jersey and a Buccaneers. That's disgusting. And so uh, just claiming some territory back here. Uh, well, a few weeks ago, my family got the chance to go to Becca's home which is Nova Scotia, Canada. We had not seen her parents in person in 18 months due to COVID. And uh, so it was just awesome. We got, it was this beautiful kind of family reunion type moment and we got to just see them and to be with them. It was wonderful. Now, if you ask my almost four-year-old son, Charlie, what his highlights were of his Nova Scotia trip, his Canada trip, he would tell you two things. Number one is seeing Grammy and Grampy, his grandparents he had not seen in almost, you know, over a year and a half. And the second one he would tell you is he would talk about his hotel experiences. Charlie had never been in a hotel before, and he was like a kid in a candy store. Like, he just loved every second of these hotels that we had to stay at on these 19-hour drives each way we stopped overnight. So it was the second hotel experience that we were at when we checked in, and we, got, we actually made some pretty good time when we were in New Hampshire. And uh, he noticed the pool uh, the window for the pool was just off the check-in and immediately just as, as sweetly and kindly and as manipulative as he could, he negotiated his way into that pool. Now, not anticipating swimming at all on this trip, we had not packed his pool floaties. However, what was really great about this indoor swimming pool at this hotel was, number one, nobody was in it, which was awesome. And number two, it had an extremely generous shallow end, started at three feet, 36 inches, and it went all the way down to five feet. And so it's just kind of gradual, but just tons and tons of space. We're like, okay, uh, Charlie, I measured just to make sure, Charlie is 44 inches tall. So as long as he stays in the shallow end, he's shoulders and above, right? Shoulders and above. Uh, but just because he could stand in the freedom of the shallow end and not be harmed didn't mean that there was no harm to be had in that pool. So before we got in it, 
Becca and I, we showed him, you know, very clearly, here's the blue line that uh, signifies the transition between three and four feet. You are not to cross that line. You're safe in this section of the pool, but in that section of the pool, you would not be safe. Because remember, Charlie is just three and a half feet tall. So in the four-foot section, because Charlie cannot swim, that would be a catastrophic experience for him. And so after thoroughly explaining this to him, we let him enter the very generous-sized shallow end portion. Now, just so you know, uh, I was in the pool with him the entire time, all right? There's like a description called a helicopter parent. Well, I was what's above a helicopter parent in this pool over Charlie, wherever he went, I was there. But besides that, we let him just be him. He splashed, he bounced, he dunked his head. He was having the time of his life in the safety of the shallow end. Uh, now, uh, just, uh, so here we go. But beyond just being there for him, I let him just be him, kind of splashed around. At one point, he looked to me and Becca, and this is how I knew he was pumped. He had his fists clenched, his eyes were peeled back, and he's like, Mommy, Daddy, I'm just so excited. He was so excited to be in the freedom of that shallow end. As we wrap up this series, Asking for a Friend, we are looking today at how the unchanging truth of Scripture can be applied to an ever-changing society. It's no secret. The world is changing. Things are stranger than they have ever seemed to be. Our world is more populated, more connected, and more individualistic than it has ever been to my knowledge. Never before has the word truth been so argued and debated and rejected. Truths are now oftentimes equated to opinions, and these truthians are typically offensive to someone somewhere. And it's becoming commonplace to hear like, well, that may be true of you, but that's not true of me. And that's your truth. This is my truth. And there are many asking such things as, is there even such thing as an absolute truth anymore? Or have we gotten to a place where truth is now just relative to a person's circumstances or geography or a time? We've heard powerful political figures use phrases like alternative truths. And I think what's happening is that many people live today believing that they know what is true, but really they're confused and they don't. What they're believing in is a fabrication of a reality that's been set forth for them, either by themselves or by the circumstances or influences around them. People hold on to these beliefs and to these truthians, these opinions and their ideas of what is true, but the foundation for what they believe in, they are super weak, and so they will always fail them. Those truths will never stand the test of time because they're not true at all. And so, yes, our world is shifting Culture is changing. Things that used to be agreeable and understood as true things are being eroded away. And that's why I say there's really no better time to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Why? Believers are people who seek to follow Jesus because we believe that he provides not only the best way to live life, but the only way to live life since it is he who created life. As the developer, he knows best how we, the creation, are ought to live. So we follow his way as believers, living uh, by what he has set and by what he has established at the beginning of time because we believe that this literally is the best way to live and experience life on earth. And this leads us perfectly into our big idea. And our big idea is this. Our big idea is that God established and gave us his unchanging truth. It protects and sets us free. From the beginning, God set truth into existence, truth that has been given to humanity for extreme purposes. It's to protect and it's to set us free. 
And if you have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and kind of investigate this big idea together. You can meet me in John chapter 8, where we're going to come across a group of people who are interacting with Jesus, and they're debating this topic of truth. All right. At this point in time, Jesus, he's been teaching and hanging around the temple courts in the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And he's engaging with the regular Jewish people and the Jewish religious elites known as the Pharisees. And Jesus, as he so normally did as he went from town to town, is he's just out there preaching the good news. He's telling people that he is the long-awaited Messiah that they have been longing for and waiting for and paving the way for as the nation Israel. And so often as the people did that heard these words, they were questioning the validity of his claims. And so with the people packed in, crowded around to hear Jesus' every word, we jump right into the middle of this conversation. Found in John chapter 8, we'll start in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. We'll pause right there. So right out of the gate, Jesus says that it's the truth that will set you free and anything else is going to lead you toward death. In the beginning, Jesus says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, there's a lot to just these two verses alone, but what helped me kind of comprehend just all the things that Jesus was claiming here is to actually look at these two in reverse. And so if we start at the end of verse 32, Jesus says that it's the truth that will set you free. And I think sometimes when we read scripture, it's really important to pay attention to the words that Jesus speaks. Well, it's always important to do that. But he says, the truth Notice, he doesn't say it's a truth that will set you free, or it's your truth that will set you free, or it's a truth that you heard from a friend at school that will set you free. He says it's the truth, a truth. He's making it abundantly clear that there exists a real foundational uh, and appears to have a lot of power truth. This truth has the ability to set a human free. Now, if we go backwards in that verse just a little bit, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So this powerful, this real specific truth has the ability to set somebody free, but it can also be known. It's not a mystery. Truth is not hidden away. It's not held for the elite or for a specific kind of person. It can be known by the finite human mind. And if known, Jesus says that truth will set you free. Let's zoom backwards one more time. Jesus' words again to those listening is he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Jesus declares the truth has immense power. It can be known by you and I. It can be known by humanity. And it is obtainable if we are abiding in his word. I love this word abide. I haven't ever used it in a normal conversation, but this word abide, it's a verb. It means action. It means to continue. It means not to cease. And Jesus says, if you are abiding, if you remain, if you are continuing, if you are not departing from my word, from what I have spoken to you, from what I have shown you, then truly you are a disciple of mine. 
You are a follower of mine. You are a Christian. Followers, Christians will know the truth since they know Jesus and their encounter with that truth will set them free. This equation just seems so simple. All this my truth and your truth stuff could just be thrown out the window because what Jesus is saying here is that there's only one source of truth in this world and it's what God has established. It's what God has said from the very beginning of time. It's him. He is truth. What I find interesting is that Jesus, he's communicating this to an audience who's described in verse 31 as those Jews who believed in him. And I don't know to what level of belief they believed, but they obviously were under the assumption that he possibly could be who, was, who they were awaiting for, the Messiah of the world. But the thought of having to abide in these words that Jesus is speaking over them or how to live life, or calling them out on things, the thought of having to actually follow what Jesus was teaching, they freak out and their defensive walls come up and they remind Jesus, whoa, 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 we are Jewish men Uh, We are sons of Abraham, and therefore we have privilege. We were chosen by God, and nobody rules over us, and so we don't need someone to free us because we're not even enslaved. And so Jesus, as he so often beautifully did, he brings the spiritual world into the physical. He did this beautifully all the time. And in verse 34, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, Jesus, he's using really strong language here. And he says, to practice sin, to be actively pursuing, seeking, and acting on things that are outside of God's design for you and I makes us a slave. And our master is the sin itself. To be a slave to sin is to have no power since you're not in control. That sin has become your master. And now what's we know about a slave is a slave can be sold and traded from one master to another, from one house to another until they die. But what's also true of a slave is that there's hope. A slave can be set free. A master can be overthrown. And Jesus gives us a way to do this. If we abide in his word, we're free. We're going to continue on in this spirited debate. We're going to jump into verse 37 here. Jesus says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your father that he did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Here we find more dialogue that's continuing back and forth between the Jews who are listening and Jesus. And Jesus, he keeps repeating kind of similar claims that he is indeed the son of God that they were awaiting for. And they, again, keep using the same claims that they don't need someone to rescue them. They're sons of Abraham. And finally, Jesus says in verse 43, and I, can only, I wasn't there, but I can only imagine, this is like a throw your arms up in the air type deal. You know, why do you not understand what I'm saying, Jesus says. And he says, it's because you cannot bear to hear my word. And I feel like at this point, Jesus has been really clear with those listening. 
By not departing from God's word, we can know the truth. And by knowing the truth, it's that truth that can set us free from the sins of the world. And so we could ask ourselves the question, well, if that's true, then what happens if one cannot bear to hear the word of God? What happens when one departs from God's word? Or what happens if one is not abiding in his word altogether? And I think we see this play out frequently. Absent God's word, the world chases popular opinion, feelings, and warped reasoning as its truths. I'm going to make a pretty bold statement here, and if you want to talk about it, I would love to talk about it after. But the statement I'm going to make is this. Not everything that is true is in the Bible, but everything that is in the Bible is true. Not everything that we know is true is in the Bible, but everything that's in the scriptures are true. We've been talking, and I want us to understand that abiding, to abide in God's word is to know God's word. It's impossible to abide in God's word and to not know anything that what God is speaking to us or has given us. It's being in right relationship with God, and it's being able to be attentive to the Holy Spirit's leading as we look out into the world and as we internalize our own lives and apply everything back to the truth, to the words that God has given to us for direction, for understanding, and for leading. And there's so much that we could discuss here, but what I'm trying to communicate is that, yes, of course, there are things in the world that we know are true, are real, unchangeable knowns that are not specifically mentioned in Scripture. Gravity is one of them, right? We jump, we come back down. It's an incredible truth that we know that's foundational, and God has given humanity these intelligent brains to discover that for ourselves. The periodic table of elements, haven't seen that in any Scripture. But we know that God created all things and he holds all things together and we see evidence of that. We know it's true. But if we're abiding in God's word as a believer, as a follower, then we use scripture to discern truth that is not specifically addressed in God's word as it's covered in a more general issue elsewhere. Believers could and should frequently ask themselves this question. Is the situation I'm involved in is the conversation I'm about to have, is this message I'm about to send, is what I'm about to look at, is this contradicting any truths, any principles that God has given us in his word as we've been abiding in it? Let me give you an example. I have not found the specific word of internet in the Bible. There's nothing written about it to my knowledge. But we're given general truths for how you and I ought to live online. In Philippians, Paul says that we are to fill our minds with whatever is true, whatever is noble, and whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is admirable. So I don't think it really matters whether an Android person or an iOS person. I think what matters is that if we know this truth, then we can use social medias, we can use apps, we can use our browsing tabs in the right way. Ways that give us protection and freedom and keep us away from sin. If we lived online with these truths, we would stay away from pornography or anything that would even put that temptation in our brain that would lead us to that point. We would stop reading and sharing baseless conspiracy theories that we find on Facebook that are not factual and that are causing much harm. We would be kind in our comments, and we would think before we posted something, and we would seek to actually bring glory to God with everything that we did online. And frankly, we'd probably just spend a lot less time on the old internet if we follow this. So we see how we can take life situations and we can apply them and bring them back to God's word, right? But how does one discern what is right, what is true, 
if they don't have this in their life, if God's word is absent or unknown, well, one would gravitate toward popular opinion. If the majority of people are saying this is true, then it must be true. And of course, how many times has that happened? And things change, and majorities change. One would give their feelings so much more control in their life. Now, don't get me wrong. Feelings are a powerful emotion, and we should definitely use them and allow it, you know, process them and reason with them. But giving our feelings too much power, then all of a sudden we're making huge choices and huge changes because in the moment it feels right. And I'm happiest this way, and so this is what must be true. And one would stretch the limits and purposes of science We can't taste it, touch it, smell it, see it. It's not true at all. And we could spend a lot of time like putting up all these different scenarios and saying, how does popular opinion and how does, uh, you know, feelings kind of mess up and where do the truths fall apart as they continue on? But we don't really have to do that too much because we've been experiencing and living that in our world today. There are so many subjects currently that are being debated, that are being fought for, implemented, legislated, that are based on popular opinions feelings, and I'll say kind of hijack science. Absent God's word, we find ourselves in a free-for-all. What is true today could be false tomorrow. What is wrong today could be right next week. And we see this from the left. We see this from the right. We see this from men. We see this from women. This is a humanity problem that results when people no longer abide in the word of God. And this is just one of the many reasons why I love my life with Jesus. And I'm so thankful that he found me in seventh grade. Because I believe that God established and gave us his unchanging truths. God's word is the same today as it was yesterday, as it will be in a thousand years until the day the earth stops spinning. It's unchanging. It's set. It's eternal. We're going to jump back into the conversation that Jesus is having with these Jewish people for the last time. We're going to jump into verse 44. Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's will. He is a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus, again, is, I mean, these are like strong imagery, strong, shocking things he's telling and communicating to his audience. He tells them that they cannot bear to hear his words because they're kids of the devil, whose father is the father of lies, and that's what they have become. They're not interested in the truth. They're chasing after lies. He says in verse 47, he says, whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. There are people who hear, who abide in the word of God, and because of that, they are for and of God. And then there's another group of people, those who do not hear, who are not abiding in God's word, and for that, they are against him, and they are not of him. Now, we don't have the time to finish up this conversation, but things get even more intense to the point where They're done listening to Jesus. They pick up rocks in an attempt to smash his head in, and Jesus is able to escape unharmed. So in light of the conversation, in light of all that we've talked about thus far, I feel like you and I are kind of faced with a question today. 
The question is that truth, and I'll even use the word absolute truth, foundational truth has been spoken by God. Have we positioned our ears to hear or to ignore? I left you guys on a cliffhanger back at that hotel. My son Charlie, like I mentioned, was having the time of his life in the shallow end. I had shown him many times, you know, you've got this huge open space to cruise around, but he was not to cross that blue line, for it represented a truth that I spoke to him. It was a boundary set in place to protect him and to keep him free. In the shallow end, he had unlimited footing, abundant air, and space to enjoy. But as he continued to enjoy this enormous section of the pool with what seemed like immense freedom, I watched as he slowly began to no longer abide in my word. He did not remain in the truth that I had spoken to him, and I watched him as he made his way right up to the edge of the blue line with both feet. And he just sat there for like two minutes, staring off into the deep end. And I have no idea what was turning in his little brain, but in just a matter of a second, he took one big step out toward, and four inches of water came up right up to his butt, right below his nose. And I immediately saw the panic set into his eyes. He looked over at me. I could easily tell he needs help. I just swooped in his dad, picked him up, and I carried him back to safety. And we had a conversation like, see, turns out dad can be right about some things. <laughs> that was harmful, and you could have got really, really hurt. I'm so thankful I was there to help you. And friends, this is us in this lifetime. God has established and he has given us his unchanging truth. When we abide in it, when we obey it, when we follow it, when we look to it, it protects us and it sets us free. When we're living in truth and with truth, it's like life in the shallow end. There is plenty of air, there's solid footing, freedoms are vast, but yes, there is another end of the pool, the deep end. And while it may look alluring, God calls us to abide, to remain in the boundaries that he's put in place, the truth that he's spoken, because it's right, and it's what's right for us. When we abandon the word of God, when our lives become absent of his word, this is the moment we begin to take a step out over that transitional line toward the deep end. And in this place, there doesn't ever seem to be enough air. Footing is shaky at best, and it's uncomfortable. Panic sets in in this space because it's outside of the way that you and I were designed to live. Our world is changing. It has since the fall of humanity. Culture is shifting, and it will shift some more in the decades to come. There are very convincing arguments about things that are believed to be true. There are great thoughts out there there are trending ideas that make sense. And at a feeling level, I'll be honest, sometimes like I, I feel like that is true because the popular opinion or it's the majority of the feeling. But they continuously fail the test of time because they do not align with God's word. They don't bring freedom. They don't bring protection. So as we live in a changing world, have we positioned our ears to hear or to ignore the truth spoken to us by God? Are we abiding in Jesus' word? The word, I, I love Pastor uh, Dave's heart. Uh, almost every weekend he, he prays and he just thanks God that you and I live in a country where we could literally take this anywhere we want to take this. You and I have the ability to abide in God's word at all times. And so are we abiding in Jesus' word? Or is God's word absent from our life? 
for those of you this morning that would say that, yeah, I'm abiding in Jesus's word, you need to know that you are truly his disciple. Now, it's not easy being a disciple of Jesus Christ in this time period, but quite frankly, it has never been easy to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And nowhere in scripture does God say it will be easy. In fact, he says just the opposite. As Jesus' followers, we have a massive target on our back. The devil, the father of lies, is hard at work in an all-out attempt to destroy your soul. And he will use anything and everything, a whisper, whatever you want to call it, he will use anything to get you to no longer abide in the word of God. Because if he can get you to stop abiding in God's word, then you will no longer know the truth. And if you no longer know the truth, then you are no longer free. Are we abiding in Jesus' words? Or has the devil stolen it away from us? Believer, take heart. Because it's the very thing that Satan is trying to take away that you and I have the ability to use in defense to his attacks. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians, he calls believers to suit up daily for the spiritual warfare. Chris gave a great uh, message on spiritual warfare last week. You should totally check it out if you didn't hear it. And he says that we're to put together every single day we wake up this armor that we use to fend off the forces of evil in this world. And I love it. Apostle Paul, he says, stand firm then, believers. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I love that imagery. Truth is the thing that holds all things together for us. It's a piece of the believer's armor that we can use to stand firm. And as a result, we will stand protected and free as we abide in the word of God. Truth. And so are we abiding in Jesus' words? Maybe you're here and God's word is absent from your life or you're in a position where you've grown distant from the word and you're like, I don't really know what I am anymore. And a question I have for you is, are you satisfied with life? Do you feel free? Do you feel protected? Or if you're honest, did the illustration of my son in the shallow end resonate with you because you feel like in some ways you're in a panic. Things are not at all what you thought they would be. The water's right here and you're not sure what to do. For you this morning, today, I want to give you some hope. Like I was with Charlie, Jesus, he's a helicopter God. He's right there waiting for you and I to extend the invitation of rescue and he will pick you up and he will bring you back into the safety, the protection, and the freedom of the shallow end, into his truth that will set you free. So what are you waiting for? I love that Jesus, he says, uh, that those that abide in his word will be set free. Those that abide in his word are truly his disciples. He doesn't say, those that uh, know about 82%, uh, 82.5% of my scriptures memorized and spend this amount of time he just says, those are abiding in my word. They are truly my disciples. And so you can make a commitment and decision today to begin to abide in his word. And your entire life could change. Your eternity could change today. It could happen for you. Exchange your will for his will. Exchange yours uh, life for his life. It could happen. God established and gave us his unchanging truth. And as a church, we have to hold on and believe that it protects us and it sets us free. Let's pray. God, I thank you that in a world where so much seems uh, to be shifting, to be changing, 
The Lord, we have your word that is unchanging. It has not changed. And God, uh, we know that the father of lies, the enemy, is constantly at work in an attempt to disrupt anything that is good, anything that is of you. And so surely he's been after your word for a long time, trying to disrupt it, trying to get it out of our hearts, trying to get it out of our whatever you want to call it. And so God, I, I pray against the schemes of the enemy. I pray that he would have no foothold here over any of the believers who are present that, God, we would take up the belt of truth and we would use that to protect ourselves daily from the schemes of the enemy. God, I pray for our country. I pray for our leaders. That, Lord, you would inspire them to see that it is your word that is rock solid. It is your word that will never shift, will never change. Sometimes it doesn't align with popular opinion and sometimes it does, but it does not matter because your truth is unchanging. It's eternal. God, I pray for those who are not yet believers of you, who have your word absent in their life. God, would you just put it on their hearts? Show them, reveal how much better a life with you is. It's the way we were created to live. It's by design that we live in relationship with you. And by doing that, God, you give us access to the best way to live life. It's the most attractive way. It's the best way. And I pray that you would draw many closer to you because of that truth. God, we love you so much. We're thankful for all that's ahead for Crossfinds and all that you've done. We pray this in your name. Amen.